Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. Today on KUNC's Colorado Edition. In April, voters in the Front Range town of Erie elected the town's first black mayor. During the time he's lived there, Justin Brooks helped found a grassroots organization aimed at making Erie a more welcoming and inclusive place. And he says that work will continue. If people are feeling as if they are unwelcome, unwanted in Erie, then we are failing as a community. Coming up, I'll talk with Mayor Brooks to find out what he's focusing on as he steps into the role of the town's chief executive. I'm Erin O'Toole. It's Monday, May 23rd, and this is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Before we get to that conversation, Colorado is poised to take an unusual step in granting state lawmakers paid parental leave. The move highlights a legacy of female political representation in the West, as KUNC's Robin Vincent explains. Colorado Representative Denea Esgar went through IVF with her wife to conceive. She had to plan around her legislative work to get pregnant. That meant scheduling the birth when the legislature was out of session. And to me, that was just, it kind of hit me over the head. Like, well, what about families that can't plan exactly when their pregnancy is? The Pueblo Democrat co-sponsored a bill that recently passed the state house, giving lawmakers 12 weeks of paid parental leave. It comes two years after voters went to the polls to approve a measure that grants state residents the same benefit. Esgar says it was time to offer that to lawmakers. As the legislature becomes more diverse, we've got to adapt and ensure that we're removing any barriers that prevent people, especially women, from running from office. And we want to make sure that no one should have to choose between representing their community and having a family. Colorado has the second highest percentage of women state lawmakers, and Esgar believes her bill wouldn't have been possible otherwise. She points to other measures, too, like a recent successful bill she co-sponsored codifying the right to an abortion. That wouldn't have happened if we didn't have so many women saying this absolutely has to get done because of what's happening on the federal level. We need to do this this year. The only state with a higher percentage of women lawmakers is Nevada, with women comprising a slight majority in the state house. Sandra Cosgrove is a history professor at the College of Southern Nevada. She's studying the impacts of Nevada's female majority. She says there are some easy answers that explain why some Western states have strong women representation. When you look at the way the Western states became states, the process is you have to have a certain population level in order to be able to petition Congress and to submit a constitution to be approved. That meant Western territories were eager to add women to their headcounts. And then women said, "Okay, well, we're going to want something out of this. So are you going to talk about giving us voting rights? Do we have property rights? So it was a real negotiation, Western style. Notably, this so-called negotiation was hardly equitable. Wyoming, for example, was the first state to grant women the right to vote back in 1869, but white women were largely the benefactors. For example, Native Americans and Asian immigrants were excluded. 
At the Nevada State House, Cosgrove points to a measure that is rooted in equity, pushed by the state's women lawmakers. The Nevada Equal Rights Amendment will be on the November ballot for voters to consider. It says sex, it says disability, gender identity. There's a whole lot more qualifiers that are in that. So more people will be able to say, I have a constitutional right for equal treatment. Cosgrove suspects the measure giving Colorado lawmakers paid parental leave is likely to be replicated in Nevada and other Western states with high percentages of women lawmakers, like New Mexico and Arizona. But that policy could make an even bigger impact in a state like Wyoming. Once dubbed the equality state, today it has one of the lowest percentages of women state lawmakers in the nation. Our statutes definitely demonstrate that we don't have enough female representation. That's Wyoming State Representative Carly Provenza. When the Laramie Democrat ran for office, people warned her about the good old boys network, as it's known. She points to the legislature's inability to pass Medicaid expansion. Wyoming women get kicked off the insurance program six weeks after they give birth. That's bonkers to me. It's just something that I can't imagine what would happen if we had more female representation. A conversation Provenza had with a male colleague exemplifies the unwelcoming culture women face in Wyoming's halls of power. He told me, don't have children while you're here because it's too hard. I'm 32 years old. I'd like to have a family. I also really want to serve my community and I'm stubborn. Provenza says she plans to challenge her colleague's warning and use her seat to pave the way for young women behind her. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Robin Vincent. The Front Range town of Erie has a new mayor. 41-year-old Justin Brooks has been on the job for just under a month since being sworn in on April 26th. He's Erie's first black mayor. He and his family have lived in town for 13 years after relocating from the Houston area. Before his election in April, Brooks helped found a grassroots organization called Being Better Neighbors. The group was instrumental in creating Erie's first Juneteenth celebration last year, just before it was declared a federal holiday. Mayor Brooks, it's so nice to talk with you. Now, for those who aren't familiar, what's it like living in Erie? People are flocking to the area like mad. Houses are on the market for a day, it seems. Not much different than the rest of the Front Range, but it is uh, growth is extremely rapid. People settle here in Erie because it kind of gives you best of both worlds. You get to be in a suburban landscape near open space and it's quiet. Just this morning, two hot air balloons went over my house. So I stood on the back deck watching them go over. It was pretty cool. And so you have those unique pieces of solace that you get in, in a town like Erie. But if you want to go to a, you know, a major league sports game, it's really close to be able to, to drive downtown to, or, you know, get downtown through some mode of transportation and participate in it. So that's roughly why I think Erie has been growing so quickly and people come from all over. Uh, we have folks who are migrating here from every corner of the country, it seems. And so it's creating a, a little bit of a melting pot. And it's really changing the, uh, the demographics and the dynamics of this area and enriching it. And as I mentioned, you've been part of the Being Better Neighbors organization that helped create that first Juneteenth celebration. I imagine you're already planning for this year's. But tell us more about Being Better Neighbors. What prompted its creation? So around 
I guess at the beginning of COVID or just before the COVID shutdown. So right at the very beginning of everything in our country, there were some instances of racial injustice where the concerns of uh, Black people largely about being hunted in our neighborhoods by people who are fearful of our presence or by being unfairly mistreated by uh, law enforcement when encountered. Uh, those were, were very deep concerns that the town approached me and others in town about um, having some open dialogue about. And so I and, and a few other residents um, participated in these uh, talks. It was a virtual town hall talk on racism and about race relations. And that was the beginning of um, this, you know, this, this community conversation that really has ensued over the last couple of years where the town is, you know, the, the town police department and the town government have been really mindful about finding ways to break down those barriers between people to get people talking about the tough conversations with a goal of improving the relations among community members. Uh, we don't want a community, you know, the, the Black people who live here don't want a community where we are perceived as outsiders or that we are visitors to this area. We too want to be treated as residents and neighbors just like everyone else. And the town wants the same thing. The, the town wants a community that is welcoming, that is open, that is accepting of all people. And if people are feeling as if they are unwelcome, unwanted, in Erie, then we are failing as a community. So that we, so that organization does things like that to try to contribute to the community and contribute to a, a an environment where all people feel welcome, they feel seen, they feel valued, and they feel like they're really a part of the community. So what are some of your early priorities as you begin your first term as mayor? One of the key issues that I am tackling in my administration is the trend of housing affordability. The Erie area, as beautiful as it is and as wonderful as it is, and, and as much as I love living here, I recognize that it is becoming out of reach for so many people. Um, young families are having a tougher and tougher time being able to live here. Young families are being priced out of our community. Uh, the average listing price in Erie is around $750,000 now. Our average income, average household income is about 116000 And so those numbers don't close. It, does, it means that the average person here could not purchase their own home uh, were it not for the equity that they've, they've accrued. And so that's a, that's a problem. Uh, it creates a problem for our workforce in a sense that our uh, small businesses in town have a really hard time recruiting and retaining workers. And so this is a cocktail for crisis. And I, I'm working diligently to partner with local and regional uh, organizations and entities to try to, to curb that trend so that we can have Erie to continue to be a welcoming place. Over the time I've been here, it's largely been uh, a, a community centered around families. It would be a shame if, as children are graduating from college and getting their first jobs, that they have to move away from this region because they just cannot afford to be here. So I hope to have an impact there. I'm very passionate about us ensuring that you know, inclusion and equity are, are a, a part of the fabric of our town. I see that trend growing, and I, 
and I'm proud to be a part of it. So I want to further that. I am planning to utilize this summer to draw people out into uh, in-person events. Now, I hope the COVID numbers cooperate with this, this desire, but I believe that, I believe strongly that as COVID forced people to their homes and to their keyboards versus being face-to-face, uh, it really has decimated our sense of community and it has really increased the echo chambers that some people live in. And so Erie, when I first moved here, was known for all of our community events. Um, this weekend, for example, we have our Erie Town Fair and Balloon Festival. And so we're going to be launching 36 uh, hot air balloons on Saturday morning, weather permitting. Uh, so, so that's an example of the type of thing I want to be doing this summer. I want to get people out into, you know, I want to see people in the community. We have a farmer's market on Thursdays. We have um, a, there's a, a huge pride event that Being Better Neighbors is putting on on June 5th. I want to see people come out to that and show support. And so my, this first summer is largely going to be focused, um, you know, in the background while I'm trying to figure out how we tackle housing. Uh, in the forefront, I'm going to be out in the community trying to meet as many people as I can and, and make sure that they're talking to one another and engaging because I think that is that person to person contact and opportunity to meet and greet really helps bolster community. And so I want to want to help facilitate that. I'm wondering if you could put your election into some historical context. Erie is a town of about 27,000 people. According to census data, its population is not very diverse. You are the first African-American mayor in the town's 140-year-plus history. How significant is that? I think that my winning the uh, election represents a voting base that has chosen to select a candidate based on the issues and platform that matter, as opposed to um, just identity, I think. So while it is extremely significant, I think that I was selected as the first Black mayor, that wasn't necessarily my platform. And it represents that people really listened to what was being said and what was being represented, and they took stock of what was important to them and what they felt needed to be represented in office and and they chose so erie uh demographically i think it's 0.19 percent african-american and we are a family of six so we're a pretty large portion of that (laughs) and so it's uh it's not lost on me that that there are not numerically um a lot of black people in this area and i think that um you know, mayors passed, uh, you know, the, the first female mayors that we, we had, um, they, they, they pointed out to the populace that that difference maker, while significant in terms of representation, uh, is not, it should not be a disqualifier or a cautionary tale in a sense of, you know, well, what, what has the world come to? We've got, um, you know, a black mayor. I think instead it's a sense of progress that says, you know, I, for example, represent a a different walk of life. I have a different cultural experience than a lot of my neighbors. And for the 13 years that I've been here, I've had numerous um, 
frank and deep conversations to enlighten others and be enlightened myself about uh, various issues. And that varying perspective, that different life experience, and just the expertise that I bring to the area, I think makes a difference in my ability to serve. And so I'm excited to to bring that uh, to the forefront. The people who live in this community all have um, the success of this community in mind. If they don't, they should not be here. And I think that the, the community members and the community groups and the volunteers who serve, uh, the town staff that we have, we all have the same positive interests in mind for our town and for our residents. Uh, my quest for making housing more affordable is not just about the BIPOC or uh, minority population that that is seeking to be a part of here. It's about everyone. And I think that anyone who works uh, should be able to live and they should be able to feed themselves. And these are bread and butter types of concepts that that we need to make sure that we are providing to one another as Americans. And it's not radical. It's not, you know, it's not a socialist agenda. It is a neighbor being concerned about another neighbor. So that's a, a little bit about why I think it's significant. I have an appreciation for this community. I, I love being a part of it. And I, I want others to feel the same way. So I want to give back. Justin Brooks, newly elected mayor of the town of Erie, Colorado. Congratulations. And thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate the time. That's it for today on Colorado Edition. Our executive producer is Sean Corcoran. Webb is edited by Digital Operations Manager Ashley Jeffcoat. Our theme music was composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Additional music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Erin O'Toole. Thank you so much for listening. Join me later this week for more news from Northern Colorado.